Everything's going to be all right. Pete and I made it. We hit some traffic. But we're here in Chicago. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio. It's Friday, November 7th, 2015, and this week is episode 390. My name is Radio Joe Hughes, and here with me in Chicago is my co-host, the V-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Great to be here, Joe. We're having a good time in Chicago. Good day, Cliff. Good to been here all week. A long week here in the... Certified Restore. That's right. Doing the RIA Certified Restore class up here at the John Vaughn headquarters. Uh, we've also got, uh, let's see, back in the studio is our engineer, John. You've got to have faith. And this week with me here in Roselle are the John Don founders, Nick and John Paloa. And also we've got, uh, of course, Pete and Sigley joining us. He'll be jumping in for the roundup. Before we get started, we couldn't do the show without our marquee sponsors, so let's thank them. John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products services. Okay, special start time today, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 o'clock Central. We're here at the John Don headquarters today. Last but not least, please visit that IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. I'm going to turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Okay, everyone's familiar with the uh, Chicago Cubs curse. Uh, what I'm looking for is the name of the goat. Uh, the goat. We had a winner last week. He did. Congratulations to Vic Cafaro in Richmond, Virginia, for answering last week's trivia. All right, well, okay. let's, let's roll right over here, Cliff. I want you to go ahead and introduce our guests. Okay, uh, to, we're just really excited to have with us today John Palella and Nick Palella, uh, the founders of John Don. Uh, they have a, a very unique way of doing business, and it, it really deals with developing mutually beneficial business relationships, and we're going to talk about that with them uh, today. How about some intro music for them, John? Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. Chicago, Chicago, I will show you around. I love it, bet your bottom dollar you lose the blues in Chicago, Chicago, the town that Billy Sunday couldn't shut down. Okay, well, Nick Palella started John Dunn in 1978 with his cousin John Palella. Over the last 30 years, John Bunn has grown into a national company with 11 locations and over 250 employees. 
Liz Nick or Nick lives in the Diamond, Illinois, with his wife Judy, and John lives in downtown Chicago. Nick, uh, what did you see in young John Palella that you know? Well, the two of us worked for the same company, John in the office, and me out on the street selling. And when I kind of watched him the way he worked, I knew him as, as a relative, and the problems he gave me as a relative. But as a person working with, <laughs> I discovered a young man who was uh, probably the hardest worker I could see it, at his age of 18. Honest, and never went out with us on Friday night when we were still around. He always went home. <laughs> so I knew, I knew when I was ready to make a partnership with somebody, and they had a guy who had a good foundation. Okay. And I kind of like uh, when we started working together, uh, being much older than John, we kind of became a father and son. And there's many times where when we go someplace and we do some of that stuff, because I'm very proud of what was accomplished and what been. Really good. Well, gentlemen, if you could, you kind of tell the listeners really the rest of the of the John Bond story and you know, how it started from you know that day that you shook hands and started the business and you know, I, where we're at today. I, I really thought about whether I should actually do this, uh, tell the truth about where John Bond started, <laughs> because most of the stories are a lot better than the real story. They're a lot more fun. You know, somehow there's different people here at John Don that have massaged the story, I think, think um, somewhat intentionally to make it a little bit more exciting. But uh, the truth of the matter is um, we worked for a gentleman that um, had some philosophies that um, were really diametrically opposed to how we do business. And um, we had some ideas, and Nick came to me one day and said that I think this is something that we should do ourselves. It was clearly not working uh, with the person that we were working for. And um, he said to me that I'd like to do this with you as your business partner. Um, so from there, it began. Uh, we started out as a traditional Jansan company with a lot of knowledge in the uh, carpet area, in the residential carpet area, and quickly decided that um, we knew a lot more about residential carpet cleaners than we did about um, toilet bowl cleaner, and decided that we could maybe stand out in the crowd. And so we really moved into the residential carpet cleaning focus. There was actually a company, um, Nick was the name, Murphy's? Murphy's. I had three stores here in Chicago. And they had been bought out by a installation uh, company, uh, carpet installation company, and they were a lot more interested in selling pad and selling uh, tax strips yeah. and um, really not interested in our marketplace. And the customers were, you know, coming to us and, and we thought that they were important. They were paying for milk and groceries at the time for us. So um, it was obvious that that was an area that we could uh, pursue. And uh, we continued to sell the toilet bowl cleaner. <laughs> and we do today. We're selling lots and lots more toilet bowl cleaner. And even green environmentally friendly. Even green. <laughs> environmentally friendly toilet paper. And that's that's really how John Dunn started. This is back in 78. Now, what? June 15th, 1978. All right, June 15th. He calls me every anniversary, every year at that time, happy anniversary. Uh, that's great. Now, I know a big part of your success is, is communication. Either one of you, 
how does, you know, what does communication mean to you? I mean, we're here because a lot of business owners out there, you've been successful business owners. Give, give some business owners out there a little wisdom on, on what communication means to you. It's kind of simple, as we talked the other day. And uh, when you have communication, no matter whether it's in business or your personal life, there's, all, there's four simple parts of communication. When I talk, you must listen. And when you talk, I must listen. Any one of those four parts are not in there if you don't have communication. You can, you can power it up, you can dress it up, you can do whatever way you want, but that's the fundamental part of communication. I said to John, in the 37 years, we've communicated pretty well. I think we've had a couple of disagreements in 37 years. Wow. This is very unusual. That's wonderful. And on disagreements that we've had, people would be considering. It's amazing, the relationship. They were over hockey tickets. <laughs> you should see the hockey tickets he got for me. You would understand why I was visiting. <laughs> that was Stan Makita with the captain of the Blackhawks. <laughs> well, you know, the Z-Man and I have been partners actually for almost 10 years now. And we've been doing this show for about eight years. And you know, what, what type of advice can you give to us about building a strong and enduring business partnership? John? Well, I, I think you, you need to step back and understand what each one of you brings to the table. We each have our own strengths, and we need to um, really identify what those strengths are and, and really, really understand that that's the business role that we're going to play. I think that's probably the most important thing. And really shut out all the outside noise because I think there's a lot of outside noise. It creates a lot of problems for people. Um, and I think that creates issues between partners when other people start telling them what they should do. We've never had that issue as a company. From the very beginning, I understood what Nick's strengths were and he understood mine. And we both knew that Without either, without both of us playing that role, that we wouldn't be successful. So it's a mutual respect. Okay. The two of us have. I think that's probably the most important part of a successful partnership. You know, Nick talked about communication. That goes without saying. I really, really think that's a big part of it. And lastly, for me, it's really always putting his best interest right alongside of mine. It's not about me making decisions that are going to, going to work best for me, but it's about making decisions that work best for the two of us, best for him. Never making decisions that I will in the future resent is also a big part of it. You don't want to, you don't want to make a decision that you know you, you you go along with it, but you just you just stuck, you know, and you just really never move past it because there'll be days when things go wrong and those. Um, those will become big issues. So you don't want to just um, only make it work for your business partner. I think you need to find some common ground and make it work for both. And I think that's what we've been doing. I know that Nick is always, always thinking about what's in my best interest. And um, that's important. I know that during the strategies class that I've been involved in for almost 20 years, that people know John and they know me. And they can kind of see two different personalities, really. And they always say, how did you make it work? I said, well, really, the easiest way I can explain it, both of us wanted to get to that corner. 
I wanted to get to that corner like that quickly. I kind of want to get to that corner nice and slow and easy. Well, we both wanted to get to that corner. And that made the reason why it worked. Two different approaches to get to the same place. Same goal was the key. You got it. Okay. How many um, how many branches do you have? How many stores? There's eleven stores. We're in ten cities um, and eleven stores. Yeah, seven fifty employees. Does your business have? Yeah, you know, I think when you first started it, you probably don't have things like mission statement and you know cornerstones of a business and and and, and so on and so forth. And has this evolved? Um, did along the way? Did you? You know, it, it's interesting that you say that because um, because we worked for a gentleman that we just um, had lots of disagreement with. We had some conversations about values the day we started, which I think was a little unusual at that point in time because we needed to really understand what was going to make our business and partnership successful. So um, fortunately, one of those um, principles that we picked uh, serves us very well today, and it was about continuous improvement and all that we do. Um, that was something right from the beginning. I think I would have grown bored if I wasn't constantly looking for better ways to do things. And in today's world, the... Um, the internet uh, has made uh, continuous improvement mandatory. Yeah. It's, a, it's a part of all of our lives today, and so that 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 culture that we've created, where people are constantly looking for ways to improve, it's not just Nick or I; it's throughout the entire company, um, and that was one of our uh, values from when we started. Uh, another one was um, service to the customer above all else. You know, customer is what it's all about, and we are here to serve the customer. And um, that's something that just really felt good to make an item. Something like that feels good. We can we can make a living doing it. Um, that was quickly uh, something that we identified that would be a part of John Down uh, when we started, and it is today. <coughs> um, communication and respect for each other. We have zero tolerance for disrespect at any level throughout our company. Well, um, you know, our, our fathers, being older Italian gentlemen, had all these words of wisdom that they would constantly share with us and anybody that was willing to listen. And one of my favorite ones from my father was um, we've all put our pants on one leg at a time, and there's not anybody that you're any better than, and there's nobody that's any better than you. And I think that type of philosophy within the company has really made a difference um, and understanding that with um, our vendors, our customers, our employees. Um, and then we just really wanted this to be something that we would look back on and say it was something we could be proud of. So again, something being a part of something special. All these things were tied to um, a philosophy of success for us, our employees, and our customers. And um, that's sort of the cornerstone of John Dunn. What about change? Well, change. what about change meaning just what about change? Well, everything changing. We, you know, today the world is changing so rapidly. Um, and again, it's all really tied to the web. You know, we need to see <coughs> what, what, was, what was special five years ago today is sort of is a baseline expectation in the world. So 
whatever you were doing five years ago, if it's all that you're doing today, you likely won't be successful or in business in five years from now. So you really need to understand. And people that are in unrelated businesses will one day be in your business. And that day is probably now. So you really need to look at a way to continue to improve in every aspect of your business from, yeah, you know, there's just nothing, nothing you can't be thinking. Our business is different than the service business. You know, we have things like operations, which that too, but, you know, just the accounting, the IT side of our business, um, the marketing, the sales, it's, it's just, you know, it's coming at us from all different directions at the same time today. So you just have to input. Change is something that we enjoy. We find it fun. So when we interview, you know, we can talk a little bit about the kind of people that we're looking for. But when we interview, we're looking for people that embrace change and are excited about it, not people that run from change. So that's, that's definitely a part of the culture. And again, I go back to the fact that these values are the same values since 1978. We've never and we always step back and we say, how does this fit with our values? And I think that the uh, that respect and integrity um, is a big part of um, looking back and making sure that all these things work together. You know, you, you, I'm sorry. Uh, no. Uh, you know, you, you have talked about learning from your previous employer's mistakes. Um, and, you know, we've we, talked about that privately, and I think a lot of that had to do with really the way that they dealt with people, uh, particularly staff. And I, I, I think that uh, I, they, I guess the, the, the staff didn't feel appreciated, and uh, you know, it seems that that's something that uh, you folks have taken really, really seriously. John and I are very capable of working. When we started in business, we would have made a successful way of life. And we mean we started because we wanted to take care of our families. Mm -hmm. And what it was for us is the fact that when the associates and our employees came with us, they bought into our mission. They don't do it exactly the same way as we do it, and none of us do it the same way. But the philosophy that we had has gone out to them. Our success is in the people that we're associated with, either as suppliers or as the people that work with us as mechanics, shippers in the warehouse, or salespeople. Whatever it, whatever position there is, they bought into our philosophy. And you'll see that if you discuss it, you'll see how many people have been here for quite a few years. Yeah. And Spain, unless it works very well. Like, where'd the mantra come from? You know, the John Dunn mantra. <laughs> the our success is tied to the success of I think that our our employees I, I think the merged our vendors or that the other one. The other one. The Nickism. The Nickism. The Nickism. Nickism. About making making the oh. show. <laughs> the basis for what we always believe avoid doing business with your friends. But really work very hard to make friends out of the people you do business with. And we've been preaching that since we started, and we really believe that. It's wonderful to give money when you buy something from somebody and give it to someone you like, okay? Or when the customer pays you, 
you feel rewarded because they gave you the money for the service and products that you gave them. So you do make friends with the people that you do business with. Why not? Well, the problem is when you do something for a friend. We start, okay? The guys that I grew up with all had businesses. And my trainer said to me, you're going to go sell that guy because he said, come and see if you can sell me something. Well, he didn't do the work. So I had appeals to the people who were doing the work, and we had an approach. We never wanted to tell them we're here to change them. We're here to answer any problems you have. That's when I want you to call me. We found that was successful. Mm -hmm. The industry, other distributors that I see, they're more focused on technical training. So they do a lot of... um, you know, water restoration classes, which you do as well, but, but you also took a little different path with the Strategies for Success program. What what led to that? I mean, it's a, it's a very different program, I think. So when we first went into business, um, our customers' primary competitor was the rental market. They really weren't at that point in time really focused on competing with customer A, focused on competing with customer B, they were really, you know, they talked to us about the rental market. And so there were a lot of new people entering into the industry. It was really a new, young industry. And we quickly saw that what they really wanted to hear about was the secrets to success. Where, you know, is there this silver bullet? Is there one single thing out there that I need to do that, you know, will um, allow me to achieve whatever financial goal I have or personal goal? And so we would we did a lot of business consulting. It wasn't we weren't running a consulting business. We'd find somebody comes in telling us about you know what they wanted to do, and um, they really didn't really have lots of questions about the piece of equipment that they were interested in buying. And they really wanted to understand what they could do to grow their businesses. So we'd end up sitting down and spending two, three hours, four hours with a brand new customer completely changing our whole day. Our lives were very hectic. The phones were ringing off the hook. One of us would, you know, depending on who it was that probably greeted the customer first, would sit down and talk to that customer literally for two and three and four hours. And we realized that um, first we enjoyed it. We loved it. So these customers would grow their businesses. They'd um, do business with us in, in the years to come and you know, we've seen that happen, but we knew that we just couldn't do that on a one-on-one basis. There was just no way we could continue to speak to one customer at a time unless we wanted to move in a different direction and start a consulting business. So the idea for strategies was really born out of a need that we just didn't have enough time. We were pulling our hair out, trying to do what we really enjoyed, which was helping um, people grow their businesses, and so that's where the strategies concept came from. It, it sounds like it also came from what you mentioned earlier with respect to communication. What are the four parts of communication? So you heard your customers saying, you listened, and, and then you responded back. And, okay, great. That's how did you put the team together uh, in order to, to do strategies? Well, it, it was a it was a bumpy road at first. So there were, you know, I think the first class there were three people, and there is what year was that the first year? Uh, you asked me a question. Nineteen years, right? So, you know, 
Nick's been at all of those classes for 19 years. I don't know that you've missed one. Have you ever I missed one? And they blame me for everything that went wrong. I've <laughs> never missed another. Wait a uh, you probably don't know this, Nick, but when you're present, we also blame you. <laughs> I'm there to defend myself. That's a five day? Five day in the classroom? In the classroom. Okay. And you did the first one here? Right. And the team of instructors that lead that class, how did you put them together? There's a lot of dynamics. I mean, I've been teaching here a week with Ken, and you know, we work great together. This is the first time we've ever done it, so I was a little, you know. I, I think everybody shared the same vision, right. and it's something that they're, it's that vision that they're all committed to, and it, it sort of evolves. I mean, the class today is not the class uh, of three years ago. And the class of three years ago is not the class of ten years ago, so it's something. They're, they're pretty obsessed compulsive and neurotic when it comes to improvement. I guess that's the only way to, um, maybe that's not flattering to say, but it's there. It's, it's a group of people that are really obsessed with um, providing our customers with um, what they're really looking for, and so it's, it's constantly changing. It's an accurate statement, and it's truthful, and that's more important than anything else. Who are the instructors? Steve Chavirin. Is one of them. Chuck Violin is one of them, and then uh, Bill uh, Bill Yaden is the other one. And our, our kind of coordinator, our hostess is Angela, who's been with our company uh, for quite a few years. And you know, and then all I'm there is to clean up the messes that people need. And Angela, she has to pull out of blood in her. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know. Let me say, Steve Tabjorn, who's been part of that for a long time. Steve and his brother Tim. In 1988, we're in the Certified Restorer class with Cliff and myself. We're there. It's kind of a small little world, and here we are talking about that, and we're doing the CR class. So, well, yeah. all three. The important thing is all three of those individuals and Angela share our vision, and they, you know, they stay focused on that. Well, that's why two books that they received in the class uh, compiled about 900 pages. And everybody wants to know um, why aren't they bound? Well, the reason they're not bound because during each class, we learn something from the people in the class, and they make changes in the next workbook. Because we always tell them when we start on Monday morning, you are all competitors here, not competing on a job. You are all here to learn how to become better at what you're already doing, and, and it works. And it's amazing the networking that comes out between the people that come to strategy. Yeah, Nick, speaking of books or, or classes, have you ever read a book about business or taken a class that you know, kind of helped you in life or helped you in business? Dale Carnegie is the foundation for me to be the salesperson that I am now. We just had a salesman that received an award from Dale Carnegie, and I had a long emotional conversation with him over the phone. It almost gave me goosebumps because I have believed in Dale Carnegie training to learn how to sell. And he just finished, he just finished in the class, a young salesman for us on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. I believe in taking classes to learn how to sell because there are some basic fundamental processes to selling. We all have different methods, but there's a sound system to selling. Was that pre-John Don or post-John Don? I, I came to work for John Don for one year. No, pre-John Don. Pre -John. Pre -John. The people I worked for, I told them I would work for one year 
I fell in love with it. He made me go to Dale Carnegie because he wanted me to train people, and I couldn't train them because I didn't know what to tell them. So I took the Dale Carnegie class, okay? And that's why we are where we are today for selling. John, I kind of have the same question for you. Was there ever a book or a class that, you know, about business that, you know, you know inspired you or, or helped you? Um, I, I don't know that there was really a single book. So there were a lot of great books. I mean, Good to Great, I thought, was a fantastic book, a big, you know, a big part of um, uh, a lot of our philosophies, as you, you know, from just our, the, the values from our business process really were in, you know, in sync with the good to great. And I think there was a lot to learn from that. So if I had to pick one, that would be the one that I would pick. And, you know, we read the E-Myth and lots of other books back then that were the books of the day. And, uh, you, still, in time. you still pick up any books on business or you know, right now most of my reading is to one of my seven grandchildren. Uh, <laughs> okay. I don't know that this crowd is actually interested in that. And uh, <laughs> most of uh, most of what I would read today I would I would pick up the phone and call Bill Yaden and he'd uh, skip it or read it. Okay. So he's probably the most well read person I know at our company. So I uh, the designated reader I go he's <laughs> definitely the designated reader for <laughs> He doesn't drive in his car unless he has a some form of disc reading the story. We're going to uh, stop for halftime. We'll be right back at the. Uh, it was about 90 seconds here. We want to thank our sponsors. We'll, we'll be back with our guests, Nick and John Palella, talking to the John Don founders. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at iaq.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, we're back with the second half of our interview. We've got Nick and John Palella here, and we're going to talk a little more about the the strategies for success. I love that title, too. Who came up with that one? I don't know that I actually remember. That's one of. I think of it was the, called something else when we first got that I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. It's great. It's called partners for success. It was called partners for success. Partners for success. Man, it evolved. Most into strategies for that. Once again, going back into you know you got to keep on the edge. Well, you get the credit for that. 
Uh, oh, I think they're oh, here, Nick. They gave you credit right here. <laughs> you know, I, every time I come here, at least Nick is having fun. I, I don't get to see John as much. He's, he's not out in the in the kitchen as often with with the gang. But what what uh, is having fun an important part of business? So the fact that you directed this question at Nick makes me really nervous. On <laughs> 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 record. <laughs> Right now, it's, um, I'm concerned about the answer. <laughs> we have a very strong philosophy about work and play. And it came from my father. My father told me many years ago, if you have a job that you don't enjoy, and it's interfering with your playtime, quit your job. <laughs> you must have a job that you enjoy doing so that you can play. And we always talk about the fact that we are trade shows or exhibits or out for an evening here. When the bell rings tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, every one of us will be here when the bell rings. We want you to play hard, but we also want you to enjoy the work that you do. It's pretty simple. Yeah. And they buy into it. I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's really important to us that people enjoy their job, and most of that is tied, again, to, you know, the uh, principles, and um, <clears throat> people really are the right people, if you have the right people in the right places, they're having fun at what they do, it's just, you know, they enjoy getting up and enjoy coming to work, and we really try to put people in places where they can succeed, so having fun is a big part of that. So we want to see people smiling in the office. Well, there are little things that do you do that might help with that. I mean, is there, you have, well, again, it goes, it just, it all goes back to the culture that you create. It's you not, can't it's show not, them it's that not, you're doing. Right. It's, it's definitely a cultural thing. I see. It makes it fun. There's no little trips. There's no little trips or tips or anything no, like no, that. You, you won't, you really won't, <clears throat> you can't, you know, if you, you look at it, I mean, obviously people that are enjoying their job are very motivated. But we found over the years you will not um, you will not motivate unmotivated people, but you can quickly, really quickly demotivate motivated people. Hmm. So it's um, it's really easy to do that, and we've all had someone that we worked with, and you've seen other people just sort of pick away at them to they reach the point where they're you know they're really not having any fun anymore. Hmm. So we're we're a big believer in that. One of the same questions is. All the time when the new vendor comes into this office, after they're walking around getting coffee or a bottle of water, their remark always is, why is everybody so happy? <laughs> and that's the way it should be. It's because they haven't met with me yet. That's probably it. <laughs> I don't know. You're both good cops. Well, I think Nick's a private detective. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are good bad cop, good cop. I like the way you work that. That's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> what about, uh, yeah. I, I think, you know, growing from uh, the two of you <laughs> to 250 uh, employees, uh, you know, it, it takes, uh, you know, you, you build a team. And, you know, what can you tell us about? Number one, selecting and building this team, and then keeping the team together. You know, it seems like uh, that's a monumental task in itself. I think that you need to take your time in hiring the right person. 
because hiring the wrong person will just, you know, for a long period of time, just overwhelm your business. So we spend we spend a lot of time hiring each and every each and every individual that we hire. Um, we have we have one trait that we look for and have looked for since the very beginning. We've added to that, but we we look for people that care about people uh, because we are um, so focused on the customer. You can't teach someone to care about somebody else. That's something that's genetically coded into them or something they learn from their mom and dad at home. So we, we really look for that person that cares about another person. I try to give an example to all the people that hire at John Diamond. This is the person that when it's Saturday morning when we were younger and our friend was moving for the third time and on a Saturday morning, there's just no way you wanted to get up and go help that friend move. But, you know, we want the person that actually did go help that person and not the person that showed up 4 o'clock in the afternoon for the beer. <laughs> not that we didn't stay till 4 o'clock in the afternoon for the beer, but we, we definitely um, we wanted that type of individual at John Down. It becomes contagious. That's the only way I can tell you. And there's other examples coming from the two owners, the two partners, and it gives it to the managers, and it gives it to the employees and associates. It's very contagious. It's like smiling. If you smile, oh, if you smile, I'll smile, <laughs> and you're free. It's that simple. Yep. I think your laughing is contagious, too, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, someone laughs. Smiles are contagious. What about keeping them? I mean, you have employees who have been here. They're having fun. Since they had hair. It's scary because I was talking to Bill Gehring yesterday. I ran into him. How many years has Bill been here? Over 20. That's what I'm saying. He had many people right. that are over 20. And I looked at him and I said, you know, the, the voice has not changed. And then, you know, neither one of us has hair now. And At, at times, I, I think about the fact that the number of employees we have over 20 and quickly realized that the reason why we don't have more is because we didn't have that many employees 20 years ago. So we're very fortunate. And it's really because they're enjoying, they enjoy what they do. You know, they feel good. They, um, you know, it's, it's, this culture is, it's them. That's, you know, that's what it really is. It's all of us. You don't, you don't fall in love with your business. You fall in love with the people that you work with. And, you know, that's what our lives are all about. You know, Nick and I talk about it. A lot. I talk about it over and over again. There's not many areas in our life that we're actually. Um, there's only a couple areas in our life that we're that we're really proud of, and really, you know, people are like, "You're proud you have this, or you're proud you have that." It's really we're, we're proud of the people that we get to work with each and every day. And then it goes without saying, we're proud of our families, and that's what it's about for us. All right, Cliff. I think you're up next. Let's let's think. Uh, we're talking about pride and how. What about business accomplishments? Are there any in particular that you're most proud of? Probably the field of lawyers that when we started, we were in one particular field, the carpet care that we were concentrating on, and as we moved into new fields, water restoration, we became very proficient. Mold remediation, concrete policy. Each time we moved into another stage. We became very proficient at it. And business-wise, you have to understand every time you're making the changes that you best be the best at the changes that you're making. And that's been our philosophy, to be the best in each one of the changes. I, I don't know that we really stepped back and 
smell the roses when it comes to business. To be very honest with you. I don't think we associate pride and business with anything other than we're, we're truly just proud of the people we work with and, you know, when it comes to a business perspective. We don't look at a, a brick and mortar a building as something to be, to be proud of. <laughs> we, we, we just don't. We don't, we don't really get that. So how do you feel when someone... should, but we don't. Uh, yeah. John, how do you feel, or Nick, how do you feel when someone you know, looks in the eye, they come up to you at a trade show, and they tell you that you and your company made a difference in their life? You know, if it wasn't for you, they wouldn't be successful. They were stuck someplace, and they were in a rut, and they didn't come out. You know, what's that mean to you? That's the best feeling you could possibly have. As a business person, when someone tells you that, I took a good smile. Yeah, when people come and tell me that. I saw the look in your eye when you said it, yeah. It's, 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 it's really a wonderful feeling. And it happens, continually happens, mm-hmm. with people that we meet. Absolutely. Hey, Nick, you mentioned the concrete polishing. I've been curious because I come here once a year now for, I don't know, eight years, I would imagine. How's that going? Is that really uh, a good segment of the business for you now, or is that... It's, it's, it's a growing part of our business. Okay. At this point in time, really all of our verticals that we're in are growing. Um, we're still excited about the uh, carpet cleaning part of our business. It's still growing. We okay. still see it as a real opportunity. And um, obviously the water and fire restoration also, and then the traditional jam side of our business. So I, I think that we see opportunities in all of these different verticals. And um, they're all going well. So, but yes, it's concrete. That's an interesting option. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's, a lot, for, there's a lot for us to learn out there. It's, it's, it's a whole new world, so we're we're still learning. <clears throat> Pretty high um, cost to entry in that. I mean, to be in that business is it? Uh, yeah. And you and you need to do it right. Because okay. if you if you if you're not doing it right, but we've been very fortunate that the we've we've. We haven't really hired quickly, um, as in other areas. So the people that are a part of the company now all come from a long history of involvement in that vertical, so they, they know what they're doing. Hmm. And so when we say learning, it's really more about Nick and I are learning. We have a bunch of people at the company that really, really have a wealth of knowledge, and uh, that's really what's making it work. So <clears throat> we're a real resource for people. Um, that are interested in that market. How do you decide what vertical to pursue next? Is that something that uh, we, we look we look for? We look for um, um, markets where we really have something of value, something that if we were on the other um, side of the equation that we would make a decision to purchase for us. If we don't have something of real value, and you know it, we're we're not really interested. There's no smoke. There's no smoke and mirrors. So we have to have something that we believe in. We believe that what our customers, the products that our customers use, that they're purchasing through us, are really truly in their best interest. And, and that's what they're telling us. Okay. So we really listen to our customers. Again, most of our ideas, we don't have a lot of original ideas. So most of our ideas came from our from our customers, from you know our vendors, and from other from other industries. So that that communication is not just you know it's it's not just Nick and I, it's not, not just um, between 
um, our employees that's you know we're primarily listening to our customers hmm. and learning from our customers. Yeah, but you also execute. A lot of people are innovators and, and uh, have these great ideas. They never execute. They can't get it done. So execution is a big part of it. And you guys do that real well. Oh, and some of the most successful people didn't come up with the idea originally. They executed on it or made it better. You know, kind of going back to my observation on concrete business is seeing how when you drop something on it, it'll break. That it's probably a hard business. You know, you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> 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 well, that wasn't a question. That was a comment. Do you want me to answer that? Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, I, I thought you could accept it. Well, it wasn't a pause. It was just like, you know, whatever. Well, the, the part that I enjoyed, you talked, you, you, you said the term, but that's concrete, because John said that's not cut beans. When I hear radio announcers, Tell me that a, a, a truck, a cement truck, rolled over on the highway. Well, it's a ready mix truck. It's not right. a cement truck. Okay. Now, listen to I think we're better off not getting them started. But <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. I think it's time to go to the roundup, John. Is All right, we got him. He's, he's already piped in a few times, but I want to make sure that the, the global restoration industry's watchdog had to, <laughs> forgot to bring the up. Had to the music in there real quick. Uh, I, before we go over to Pete, uh, one more question for Nick and John. Whoever wants to take it, if you had a business mulligan, you know, you could do one thing over, what would it be? Well, Nick pointed out to me. Uh, just uh, yesterday, we're always running out of space. We never seem to fit in the space we're in. So I think that it's, I don't know if there's one individual decision, although there is one right now, but there's, it seems to be a reoccurring problem. We're always running out of space. Hmm. So, you know, we have the uh, uh, 11 branches right now, and it seems like, you know, there's always two or three or four of them that we don't have enough space. So I think that's probably, if we've maybe done a little bit better job of that over the years, it probably would have made life a little less complicated. We're getting better at it now. Yeah, I don't know about that. There was an Englishman, and I, I don't remember the name, but they had in London, I think the M1, the you know, primary road in London that they had, they decided they were going to build a bigger road because they had just this terrible traffic jam. So they built this bigger road. And, you know, they shut down everything you know, for years. They build a bigger road, and the same issue happens when they build a bigger road and they have the old road. And what he said was that, you know, I, I guess the easiest way to say it is stuff fills the space available, okay? So no matter how big you build it, I don't know that it's ever going to be, you know, I think you're always going to be facing the same thing some point down the road that you never have enough space. It was better than need more space to have a bunch of empty space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and I guess depending on what real estate markets you got the space, then it could be good or bad. But yeah, well, let's let's bring Pete in. Pete, 
Any comments, questions? Well, I got to tell you, I, I took a few notes, Cliff. I'm working on your blog already. I uh, <laughs> First of all, I've really, I've really enjoyed the interview, and it's taken me down memory lane. So I made a couple notes. Uh, I want to talk about when we first met John. You know, in 1990, I was working for Dries. I, I worked for Dries from 1989 to 93, four years. And I'd heard about John, didn't really know who John Dunn was. So I said, we're well, going into Chicago. There's one location. I'm going to do the class. I remember it was a one-day WRT class, and we also did a marketing class. And you had people that wasn't just re- that came from the region. They came from all over the country to come here versus a lot of other ones I did this regional. And I remember we did the class, and we had a good time. It was fun and everything else. And it was all done. You know, John came and said, hey, Pete, you know, I guess you did a good job. But people liked the course and doing that. Hey, he made a comment to me. He said, so you're coming back next year? And I go, yeah, I guess so. Why not? <laughs> and he goes, no, I mean, are you coming back? And I go, well, if you want me to come back, John, I'll come back. And um, anyway, and it's, it's been a great relationship, uh, uh, you know, that I had over the years. I was worked for Dry Ease or, uh, you know, work with Jeff Cross or work with Chuck Brown, whoever these guys were. I mean, it, always coming to Chicago in particular has been really great. Then in, in 1991, uh, I'm going to tell you another little John story that really – Backs up from my personal perspective. Well, he's nervous now. God, you can't. He's nervous. <laughs> uh, you gotta trust me, John. Please trust me. I'm an in the vowel. It's good to have the heat kicking off. From here. <laughs> <laughs> what happened is 19, um, uh, 1991. Uh, so we had a dry sales meeting up there in Burlington, Washington, and a lot of the, the suppliers and distributors would give little talks. And this is when I started to find out what John Dunn was all about, because John gave a talk that I'm not so sure that the competitors would have ever given at the time. And he actually talked about the hiring process, about the John Don people. And I remember when I listened to you talk about that, I thought to myself, that's a company that's going to grow. And this is not patronizing BS I'm giving. I'm telling you the truth. Because the way he talked about that in front of his competitors, at a sales meeting, they had a common deal, I thought was, uh, was, uh, was a really good thing. Then, then, now, number three, we're going to go up to 1992. Now, 1992 was the convention in St. Petersburg at the trade winds, the ASCR convention in Florida. So Dreiser just bought a new booth, uh, $10,000 brand new booth. The convention sold out because by the time we had uh, figured it out, they had to have the outside convention. They put all the water guys out there, right? The John Dunn booth was right next to us, the Clearwright booth, and then they had, they, they had Tom Zoll and his guys, and they had the monsters. All the water guys happened to be out in the back. Well, this huge rainstorm comes down, the sandbags didn't stop the water, and we. By the time we get there, the whole dry is because everything's flooded. But what's John doing? He's got the Castex flood sucker, and he's literally out there sucking the water up. <laughs> Michelle from Cleanright had the tool. They're coming, and they're, they're basically cleaning, drying up boots. And I'm thinking, there's a guy who's the owner of the company in a boot, but he rolled up his hands. Now tell me, did I embellish anything? It was like that. Was it like that? It was like that. It, 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 was, it was like that. So he actually does all that work, and they do what they say. Didn't that tent blow away the next day, if I remember? The <coughs> I can't. Ended, I thought that No, no, the convention went on, and the, 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 it ended the following Oh, the tent blew away. Oh, my gosh. That could have been true. But the sandbags didn't stop, so sand, sandbag doesn't work. No, we have boots there, too. All right. All right, Nick. I'm going to get to Nick now. He's not going to get off the hook. In 1993, when you start talking about Nick, I'm more nervous. No, 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 no. It's all good. I'm way more nervous than Nick. You know, in 1993, there was a sales meeting, and I don't remember. It was something on the road. Dries had a meeting with a bunch of people, and I remember at that particular time, I think Claude wanted to thank a lot of the suppliers and stuff like that. We had it. And somebody asked Nick about what was the secret to success, and that's when I heard for the first time that uh, don't do business with the families and friends. Make f- 
friends and the people with the business with you. And honestly, that stuck with me for a long time. I've never ever forgotten it. About a year ago, I asked Bill Yaden some one time. I said, hey, Bill, so does Nick really believe that still to these days? And he goes, every day, the rest of the day that goes by, that we don't know that. And, um, you know, the uh, it listens to you talk about the uh, about the people, you know, the uh, hire real slowly. So that, that's Jeffrey Fox. I mean, he wrote that whole series about how to be a great boss, how to be a great CEO. He always says, you hire slow, you fire fast. And we all know that. Get the right people on there in the first place, but when you got the wrong people, the longer you wait, the more problem it is, and um, and uh, it's really something. I uh, I think that um, I have a question I want to ask, you, and then I, I got a couple other things that uh, we get into this. But here's my question. Here's the peak question. Pete. The peak question. What advice, uh, John and Nick, would you guys give the trade associations, the nonprofit industry? Um, what kind of advice would you give how they could work closely with vendors? the members, the attendees. I mean, you guys are huge supporters. You have been of ASCR, connections, of the experience of the old map show back in the day. You support all that stuff. And, um, you know, you, you always give back uh, really more than I think you take. So as a guy like me who's an advisor to the association, you know, I got my heart in it. Tell me what kind of things do you think would be good to make John Don and even your competitors want to help more to support the association and grow the industry? I, I can tell you first, I think I know what, what you do really well is uh, <coughs> is educate our educate our customers. And I think that's something that you know the, that you guys do a great job at. I think what you need to work at is driving people into the exhibit hall. I think sometimes something that this is what this is what our competitors, and all of us are talking about is that sometimes it's not a focus. That we're not actually sitting back and thinking, how can we get people into the exhibit hall? So I think a lot of times um, there could be more emphasis on that. Any suggestions for how to get more people into the exhibit hall? Um, I, I think Nick is there and probably... You coordinate your classes when our exhibits are usually closed, which works out the best because... You can't have those people at two different places. But what happens is that in some of the trade shows, they're doing some unbelievable demonstrations at one end of the building, and it takes all of the people that might be coming to your area. Now, what happens is when you have an elaborate demonstration, we lose all the people. Or when you start to serve food. Okay? Anytime you start to serve the food, the people disappear. Or they come in for the food and then disappear again. To coordinate that is really tough. So it's, okay? you can't forget. I mean, your right. real purpose is the driving and providing a service to the attendees. So I think, that, I think that you guys do a great job of that. I think you provide real value through education to the attendees. And to make it work for the vendors that are there, you have to step back and say, okay, what can we do to drive people into the exhibit hall to make it work for them. I have another question while we're on that subject. Uh, maybe controversial. Oh, no, my God, What about Las Vegas? Uh, is it that you've both been there many, exhibited there many times, and do you think that being there, you know, in, in a casino property, do you think that that's a plus? Or do you think it's a minus, or do you think it doesn't really matter? I think that some people who are attempting to take a vacation, for them it's a plus. But I, I'm not going to tell you that it's a plus not to have your trade show someplace else. I don't, I don't, 
if they're going for the purpose of going on vacation, then mm-hmm. they probably wouldn't have gone no matter, uh, no matter where we had it if it wasn't in that location. So I think it's okay. If they're going to Disney World to go on vacation, if they're going to Vegas to go on vacation, pretty good chance they mm-hmm. wouldn't have attended if we weren't in a spot. No, I, I think what I mean is, 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 is having the casino there a negative to uh, to the exhibit hall, or are there people that are playing that are gambling that should be in the exhibit hall? I guess that's. The I don't. I think that people need to have the opportunity to go, whether it's you know whether it's into the casino, whether it's into you know, the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Whether, whether it's out to dinner. I, I think that you know that I think, I think they need to go away and they need to say, hey, I really had a great time at the uh, trade show. So I think just within the trade show itself, well, during those hours where they are focused on not playing, I think that's where. Um, yeah, you know, you, you hit on something. I, I appreciate obviously all the comments and everything that you guys give back uh, as far as how to make this better. Sometimes we find out that sometimes it's the audience. Well, over the years, all the associations have tried. We'll have them sign the card, have them do Anytime you do something that's kind of getting them in there and they really don't want to and, you know, please do it, I find they have to want to come on themselves. And sometimes it isn't just the distractions. It's the fact that they want to network. They want to uh, go out to dinner. They want to do this, and you can't kind of make them come in. You know, what, what people have told me over the years, at least from the perspective of ISCR and RAA, I can't speak for others, is that a lot of the, the, our vendors are there. They know that people are already buying from them. They're there to help support them. But certainly new customers and people come in. Obviously, you want to, you want to get a crack at them, and you always have a certain amount of that. But um, anyway, well, heck, you went on the record. It'll be in the blog. I'll certainly pass it on. And we'll, you know, we, we constantly are always trying to do the best that we can to uh, obviously support our members, whether they're the general members or whether they're the vendor members. You need both for a successful association. Well, we appreciate that there's definitely a lot of, effort that goes in on your part, you know, in, in the interest of trying to make our industry um, a better place, a better industry to be a part of. So we appreciate what you do. So it's really hard for us to tear apart. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll all go on the shirt. We make it better. And I ran on the website. We okay. promise. Yeah. We, you know, so we try to do that. It, we know that you're committed to doing that. Yeah. If you're in Florida and people come there to have a good time outside, and it rains every single day. You've had the best trade show. <laughs> yeah, they've had a lot of you know, that was a great trade show. Around, how to make it rain, and we're down in Florida. Well, you know, we have to hold a convention in August in Florida. It rains every day, man. You know, that was, that yeah, there you go. That's a good time. And they never have them in August, do they? It's, it's always too hot. I, uh, Pete, you have any more? Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to say that the thing that I really kind of enjoyed most from my personal perspective listening to the interview was listening to what John and Nick were talking about, how it started in 1978, how they had to establish values then that were unchangeable. It still holds true today. And, and then when you said Jim Collins, before the good to great in the 1996, Cliff, Cliff actually gave me this book with Derek Porras, who's Collins professor at the Stanford. They did the Built to Last. And it comes out of there, the Coreology, which is both basically the values and the mission. They need to be unchangeable, and it's what drives it. Um, the uh, the continuous improvement, that's Demings, the 14 points. You know, the Americans had the great ideas about Demings, but the American companies never executed. The Japanese did. So there's a reason why Toyota and Sony are so great. How come we can't have American products? We had the idea, but they executed, and that's basically mm-hmm. something like that. The other thing about service above all else, so this is from Nordstrom's, all right? They are the model for customer service. 
and the fact that they empower their people and the owners basically are um, uh, at the bottom and the top is the customer and then the employees and they go like that and that's 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 it. Um, the uh, uh, the respect that was something that's the HP way and that's what that uh, Pack the Hewlett and Packard. Two guys in the garage. And we talk about two guys in the garage. We would have loved it if the story was the two Polellas start in the garage. <laughs> that's how many of these things. That's how it was a 3,300-square-feet garage. Yeah, so, so, so now, you, now you got things in common with Apple and Steve Jobs and all these guys, these great companies. That's a little garage. Look at that. A little garage in the back corner of the building. The main office was this big. This was the main office. But, but the thing that you really said that really struck me the most, and this is kind of brings it to combinations about being part of something special, because people want to be on a winning team. They want to have fun. You know, look, I'm a guy who has a lot of fun. There isn't a, guy, a person knows me knows I don't take what I do damn seriously. I just don't take myself very seriously. And you want to have something you can be proud of and then ultimately leave a legacy, and I think you've done that. Um, so the last little thing that, that I'm going to say is, and I didn't hear you talk about this, and maybe you do, so here's my contribution to throw into you guys the next legacy, and it is right out of good to great. It's all about the hedgehog principle, the simple principle, the way the three circles cross, and, the, and the, which is the secret to success of really all the great companies. Number one, what can you be the best in the world at? You guys said that a number of times. If you can't be the best at it, you ain't doing it. Number two, what are you really passionate about? And you guys, that's pretty damn obvious. And number three, what's the economic driver? And anyone that's ever done business with Jonathan knows there's got to be a margin in there because we ain't doing this for shoe shine. You know what? That's a good thing. As a matter of fact, Click likes to say, profit is not a dirty word. <laughs> and so I don't know what the, what the John Don Hedgehog concept is. Maybe you have it. Maybe you haven't articulated. But uh, whatever it is, it's working. Even if you can't put your finger on it, whatever it is, it's working. And, gentlemen, um, I'm so happy that you took the time out of your day to have this interview that we could sit around and do this. And, and I look, I look forward you know, to, to working with John Denner, whatever capacity I can in my role, as I do with all of our members, really, to make the industry better. And uh, all I could say is thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, but before we done, we always just like to give the, uh, the guests the last order. Is there anything that we forgot to ask? Is there any you know, closing comment that well, you might have? Peter was looking for keys to help someone else to be successful. And I shared with you, I think, the other day when they invited us to go speak someplace at a sales meeting with a bunch of this company's salespeople. And the, and the person asked John, could you tell my salespeople how you got to sell $1 million of my products? And John says, what's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I want to answer Pete. <laughs> so look, I, I got something for you now. Look, but it, they're always through here. But the, so the boys come from Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh is known Pittsburgh has a place called Sari. Sari, S A R I S, which is in a baseball team. It's like the most, that's like their seized candy is to California. So we got a gold one and we got a silver one. One of them is nuts and chews and the other is gold. That's no, it's platinum. Oh, platinum. But one's the nuts and chews, one's assorted chocolates. Now, I know that Nick is a chocolate fiend. And, John, you got seven grandkids, so we don't need to worry. So we, we got you one of those. And, and I want to give you the REA hat. Now, look. You're not going to wear this above the John Don, I get it, but 
you know, anyway, he's still got a white yeah. yeah. I got well, that one during hunting season. I mentioned red ones, man. R.E.A.D. make it better. And uh, when we're done, we like to take a couple pictures of everything once we go. sign off. And uh, anyway, we just want to show a little appreciation from the from Pittsburgh and from R.E.A. to the to the. John and Nick Palella and the John Don Boyd. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank you gentlemen. I much appreciate it. Great, great to have you. Thanks for joining us. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks to this week's guests, Nick and John Palella. This has been awesome. Uh, I'm glad I flew in. It was well worth the ride. And, of course, to uh, Pete for joining us, as always, helping us put it together. My co-host, the Z-Man. Oh, it's fun, Joe. Back in the studio. John, you got to have faith. Good job, John. We'll be back next week with the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.